I want to try something because I want to make sure you got it. Good morning, church. Good morning. All right, let me try that again. Good morning, church. Good morning. Now, why'd you answer? The church is the building. Why are you guys answering? <laughs> or do you know that the church is the people? That's right. That's right. I'm glad. All right, you learned something. We are the church. Hope. Right, we want it. We need it. God provides it. But we often overlook it, or equally as bad, we, we take it for granted sometimes, don't we? We see things like, God's got this. And if you were to look at my phone, that is, that is the screen on my phone, which I can't do because I keep looking at it. <laughs> but my lock screen, if I were to not look at my phone, it says, I've got this. And it's signed, God. I've got this. And I love that. And I, I, it's a good reminder for me because whatever I'm dealing with, it, it, it's there. Right? God has got this. And now I can't unlock it. There we go. Okay. But when I think of the word hope, the words of Hebrews 11, one come to my mind. And it contains what I would describe as a biblical definition of the word faith. It reads, faith is confidence in what we hope for. Right? Faith is confidence in what we hope for. And it's assurance about what we do not see. And it takes a minute to kind of process that, right? Because we use the word hope so loosely, right? I hope the Chiefs win, you know, I hope there's ice cream for dessert, right? But it says faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And if faith is our confident assurance of something beyond what we can see, then I'd add beyond what we can understand or beyond what we can control, then I can start to see how one might develop an expectation related to these things. It seems reasonable, right? The confident hope that God's got this can become some sort of expectation that God's got this, whatever this may be. I think that's fair. And if we're being truly honest with ourselves, I think there are two scenarios when we invoke that kind of confidence or expectation. One is when we truly surrender and give it over to God, right? God, this is yours, not mine to deal with. God, I need your help. I surrender this, right? That is a healthy surrender. And the second is this, when we simply quit, right? We throw our hands up in the air and, and we may have some more of the mannerisms of, of the first option, but this is one that's more about us and our attitudes of ourselves than it is about our trust in God, right? I tried to do it, I can't do it, I give up. Okay, God, right? That's not the healthy kind of if give up, right? It's, it's, it's a surrender is the healthy part that says, I was never intended to do all this on my own. So I am surrendering what was yours in the beginning. And even in the bad moments of my best days, I do a pretty good job of turning things over to God. The words of my prayers, the attitudes of my heart, and the peace in my soul reflect when I do it right. And I'm met with a sense of relief because I'm getting out of God's way and letting him, letting the one who can do and should be doing these things run this show. But I have those other moments too. Maybe you can relate to some of these. I try to do it myself. When I can't do it, I try harder. And I try harder still. And I deny myself the opportunity to receive help that freely exists from people if I were to ask or if they were to offer it or, or God who says, here I am. Like, I got it. I got it, Right? Male pride, I don't know, stubbornness, whatever. But still, I try, try it alone, and I grow increasingly frustrated. I'm stressed, I get short-tempered, and I, I start feeling all kinds of yuck. So I finally lash out, right? 
If Cheryl was here, she'd be going, yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. I throw down that tool. Who's, it's, not any, it's not the tool's fault at all, but yes, it is, right? I grit my teeth and I say, I give up. And in frustration, I just, I quit. That's not the kind of peace-giving surrender God wants for us at all. This morning, we're going to talk a little bit about expectations. And, and sometimes that word has a, a kind of a connotation, kind of like owe, when you owe someone or, or something. And I don't mean ones that we have for others or the expectations they have for us. I'm talking about the kind of expectations that goes hand in hand with hope and faith. The kind of expectations that can and will be met by God's promises to do so. And therefore, they provide peace. Isaiah 40, 31 tells us, those who wait for the Lord, that is those who expect him. Okay, it doesn't necessarily mean stop what you're doing and just look up, wait, you know, like that. But those who expect him, those that await the Lord to act shall change and renew their strength and power. It continues, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And this was in response to God's people seeking comfort from him. And God provided it through the promise that he is the everlasting God who can and will give them all they need. So expect it, count on him. If you were to fast forward to Acts 16, we find Paul and Silas are under attack for stirring up the people with their, their teachings and, and the crowds get angry and, and all this. I'm gonna begin at verse 22 of Acts 16. It says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And then this is a verse we're familiar with. It's verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What do you think they were praying for? Right? They expected him to do something in response to this prayer. And it says, and all the other prisoners were listening to them. Because we usually read this verse and we're like, interesting. Here they are tied up, locked up, and, and they're rejoicing. They're praying to God, but, but you're hearing them sing hymns to God as well. And it says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So is this God responding expectantly? Verse 27 says, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prisoner doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But through the darkness, he heard Paul shout, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before him. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrate sent their officers to the jail with the order to release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. Now, what do you think the expectation of Paul might have been to the prayers? The release, the escape? But what did God do instead? He created an opportunity. Wasn't what we expected, but God acted as we would expect him to. Not necessarily the way we asked, but what he, what he expected him to. And, and, and the whole household was saved. 
And as the story is repeated, thousands of years later, people are being saved by the same act of God and the same expectation and the same prayer and the same hymn and the same message of Paul and Silas. And I think it was based on experiences like this that Paul truly came to believe what he wrote in his letter to the Philippians. And this is from Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, don't be anxious about anything. Probably familiar with this one, right? Don't be anxious about everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. That surely is the key, the proper way to wait expectantly for God. Waiting without anxiety, waiting with thanksgiving, waiting with the peace of God in our hearts. You know, when he's ready, he'll do what he's going to do. God wants us to rely on him and he will allow trouble in our lives. But he will use these same troubles to bring people closer to him. And will use, um, and will use us to accomplish his work in the world. You can expect him to do that. You can count on him to do that. And if we will respond to those things that naturally make us worried and provoke our anxiety with a settled expectancy that in the faithfulness of our God, rather than in the panicked response of fear, if we don't rely on our own understanding and what makes sense, should we, should we yeah, we should be afraid. But if we rely more on, on what the settled expectancy we have in God, then I believe we too can have the privilege of serving the purposes of God in whatever he chooses. And whatever the nature or extent of that trial we're called to go through, we too can see the lasting fruit of the kingdom of God that only the kind of faith and commitment can secure. Look at the image of the screen. I, I found that. It's kind of funny, right? The goldfish jumping out of the little bowl. I don't know what he can see. I don't know how they trained him to do that. But, joke. Right? But you, but you leap out of what's comfortable and you don't know what's next. And sometimes God calls you to something knowing what's next. Do you ever feel like you're jumping out of a known into an unknown? Right? A job, a relationship, a major purchase, a major decision of some kind. You use the logic you have based on the information available and you, and you make your decision. And sometimes you just leap, right? What do they call that? A leap of faith. But when God calls you to do something like that, there is hope. You can have a confident expectation that you will be okay. May not be comfortable, may not be easy, but God's got that just like he's got everything else. You will land where he wants you to land and take care of you just as he intends to take care of you. And I started this message by contrasting surrendering versus quitting. In the same passage from Paul's letter to the Philippians, he offers further insight about this kind of God-honoring trust. He writes in Philippians 4.11, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. This is not Paul advising, it is what it is, say la vie, you know, it's as good as it gets, right? He's not conceding, he's, he's taking contentment. And this is, this is the Christian approach to life. And this, this is, Paul definitely did not mean it is what it is, or I give up, or, or, or anything like that, or I'm just going to settle. He's finding contentment knowing that God's in control. And whatever this is, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is, this has got what God's got in mind for me at this moment in time in my life, and God will use it for his good purpose. And the Amplified Bible, again, throws some light on this verse and expands it. It says, for I have learned how to be content. And it says, satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or disquieted. 
says, in whatever state I am. Paul is speaking of a place in the Christian life where we have a settled confidence in God that brings a contentment that is independent of our circumstances, right? You remember the, the verse says, I take joy when you face trials of all kind, joy? It's because we keep thinking joy is happiness, but it's joy doesn't always mean happiness. Take joy in trials of all kinds because it's through our perseverance, right, that we develop this faith. And this is Paul's aspiration for the Philippian Christians. And it should be ours as well to experience this level of confident expectation in our good and loving God. There are several Hebrew verbs used in the First Testament that may, in certain contexts, be translated to mean hope in English. One of them is kavah. And, and it may denote hope in the sense of trust, as in when Jeremiah addresses God saying, our hope is in you, our trust is in you. In the Old Testament, the believers are encouraged to wait for God, hopefully, expectantly. In times of trouble, one should wait for the Lord, who will turn things around. This past year, we spent time during our Wednesday night Bible studies studying the Psalms. And there was this resounding theme in many of the ones that we studied. Expect the Lord to act, just like he has in the past, just like he promised he would just as he will continue to do. And you read the psalmist, they, they start with these words and then they kind of go through this dissertation, almost this lamentation, and then they kind of come full circles. They realize, God, you, you've gotten through us through stuff like this in the past. You will again. My hope is in you. 27 times kava comes into the Greek Old Testament is to wait or to be patient or endure. Where suffering is present, the term may indicate that the individual is bearing affliction patiently while waiting with hopeful expectation for the Lord's deliverance. Sometimes we feel like we're in that, right? We're waiting on the Lord. Okay, get me through it. I'm going to wait on you to turn this into what you need to. And that's a healthy perspective as well. Psalm 40 is a psalm of thanksgiving that recounts the suffering of an individual whose hope was realized. It simply begins with, I waited patiently for the Lord he turned to me and heard my cry. And the New Testament consistently uses the verb elpizo and the noun elpiz for hope. And, and just as the Old Testament emphasizes hope as trust, Paul consistently wrote about setting our hope on God and Christ. That's where our hope is. That is where our trust is. Christ himself, that he accomplished through his life, what he, what he accomplished through his death, and more importantly, through his resurrection. 1 Timothy 4.10, it says, that is why we labor and we strive because we put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people. Scripture also reminds us that putting our hope and expectations in God will not put us to shame. We will not be disappointed. We will not be let down by our God who keeps his covenant promises. He will meet our expectations. We can expect him to deliver on his promises that all who know him and call the name of the Lord will be saved. And every one of our friends and family who've gone on before us have cashed in that promise. I expected God to welcome me into his loving arms because I have accepted him into my life. And there he is. And that is the hope we have when go people go on ahead of us. We miss them. We mourn them. But we know that they've redeemed this promise. I read a great commentary this week that took one of these verses and explained it well. And it's reverse, referring to Romans 5.5. 5. And that says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The reason is that we already have a taste of the future glory because of the love with which the Holy Spirit fills our hearts. 
In other words, the gifts of love and of the Spirit are down payments of sorts of the future glory for which we hope. This is a reference to Ephesians 1.13. As hope is connected with patient endurance in the Old Testament, so hope in the New Testament leads and trials lead to hope. Romans 5.34, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Oh, there's... Why? Now we have to take joy and glory? Yeah, it says take glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. It's a process, right? We're so quick to want to short-circuit this thing. You know, God, hey, hey, you know, we're almost like we're saying, God, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to develop perseverance. I, I don't want to develop character. Can I just, can you get me through this? He's like, I know it's better for you than you do, Right? And that's sometimes why bad things happen to good people. You know, there's, there's, there's a purpose in there that, that we don't really like to think about these bad things as lessons learned. But as parents, we know that sometimes we allow things to happen for our kids to learn lessons. And the kind of hope that's received for this is steadfast. When, we, when you hope for something that is in alignment with God's will, we wait for it with patience, which is possible because of our expectation of the outcome, the outcome that God is in control of. Reminiscent in the Old Testament, false objects of hope. Paul also reminds us to not, not set our hope on wealth or other things of this world. The only thing we can truly rely on, that we can have an expectation on, is God himself. And when you put hopeful expectation of God in Christ, you may expect salvation. You may expect to experience God's glory. You can expect the redemption of your body. You can expect to be declared righteous. We can't do that on our own. You can expect eternal life. You can expect to witness the glorious things and the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. And you shall become like him when he does appear. You can expect this. This is a promise. Expectation is the good and appropriate response to the promise of God. We can trust in God's promises and, as Hebrews 6, 18 says, we can seize our hope set before us. We can claim that because it was designed for each one of us individually. Our expectant hope leads to joy and boldness and faith and love. Does that sound a lot like the fruits of the Spirit? It's a process, divinely inspired and overseen. An expectant hope leads to comfort. We're to encourage one another with the knowledge of the resurrection. Though boasting in our works is not allowed, we may boast and rejoice in expectant hope of sharing God's glory. Boy, you want to be proud of something. Be proud of this God, what he does. And expectant hope stimulates good works. You know, there are many things that we fear. Ticks, snakes. <laughs> Maybe not everybody, but me, right? But there are some things that, that we shouldn't. Not if we look at them in light of God's promises and expectantly wait for him to fulfill them. And I'm going to close with an illustration. And this was actually, I, the timing couldn't have been better. I shouldn't act surprised. That's how God works, Right? But Sherry called me, and then she came home and told me this story. And she said, I was, I was giving a flu vaccine this week. I assume it was a flu vaccine. And she said, I noticed this lady had a tattoo of a fork on her arm. I said, that's interesting, because most people, if they have a tattoo, it's got some meaning. And, and, and so Sherry asked about it, and this lady shared her story. And, and when Sherry told me the story, she said she couldn't do it justice like the lady did. I mean, there were like tears in this thing. And I knew I couldn't. So I looked up the original story and I found this, okay? Um, and this was 
it's, this is the original story. It's attributed to Roger William Thomas, who's a pastor. And here it is. So go ahead and change the slide. I want, I want the visual image of this fork on the, on the screen when I tell you the story. It says, a woman was diagnosed with a terminal illness and given three months to live. She asked her pastor to come to her home and to discuss her final wishes. She told him which song she wanted sung at her funeral and what scriptures to read and which outfit she wanted to be buried in. Then she said, one more thing. I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. The pastor was surprised. Now, I've gotten some strange requests too. I'll never forget Bill Arment wanting a wham song at his funeral. But this pastor was surprised. And the woman explains, in all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork, right? Keep your fork. It was my favorite time, she says, because I knew something better was coming like velvety chocolate cake or a deep dish apple pie, something wonderful. So I want people to see me there in the casket with my fork in my hand and wonder, what's with the fork? Then I want you to tell them, keep your fork because the best is yet to come. I love that. I get chills when just reading it. Says so the pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joy as he bid the woman goodbye. He realized that she had a better grasp on heaven than he did and knew something better was coming. At the funeral, when people asked him what the, why she was holding a fork, the pastor told him of the conversation he'd had with the woman before she died. He said he could not stop thinking about the fork and knew they probably were not able to stop thinking about it themselves, and he was right. So friends, keep your fork and expect that the best is yet to come. That is a promise you can count on. Let's make that our prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, what a simple and powerful reminder of of what we're going through. Whatever it may be, the best is yet to come. And we can look forward to this expectant hope that you will, as always, keep your promise. The promise to love us, to care for us. That you've got a better plan, a better mission, a better place, all for us. Lord, sometimes this word, expect can weigh so heavy on us, right? We have, the world has expectations on us. Our boss has expectation. Our, our spouses, our children, our family, all have expectation on us. But those aren't always bad things, right? We can be expected to take care of the ones we love, to provide for them, to pray for our friends and those in need. That's not an obligation. It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's a blessing. Lord, we know that you view it the same way, that we can expect you to deliver on your promises to us. So again, I've I've mentioned this several times, those who've gone on before, they've claimed that expected promise. Lord, that's what we have to look forward to as well. But in our time here on earth, you have expectations for us as well. As individuals, as Christians, as a church, Lord, let us not fall short of, of what that looks like, of what that means be a difference in the world, to carry on the ministry, this so important ministry of Jesus Christ in this world while he's up there getting ready for us. And we can expect to join him when our time is up here. Lord, we thank you for this calling and for this mission and for every single opportunity, whether it be to discuss a tattoo or or someone ask you just a point blank question, why is there hope in our hearts? especially in light of what's going on in the world and in light of our own lives, is because we have an expectant hope of what's ahead. Lord, we thank you for this. And we thank you for the gift of the cross. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.